0: Good. Glad to be, glad to be back. Um, I appreciate you guys uh, doing all you do. We have a good team here. In fact, next week we're talking about teams. so I'm excited about that. But today, we're talking about trees. All right? Trees. Um, trees, because we are in a series of navigating our crazy culture, right? And we do that by fearing the Lord in wisdom, adoring the Lord in worship, and taking our worries our, our worries to him in trust and faithfulness. So that's kind of where we're at. And um, today we're asking the question, this whole thing about fearing, fearing God and, and wisdom. What's the big deal? I mean, what, what if I don't fear God in wisdom and just do my own thing? Everyone else is doing their own thing. So what's the big deal? Remember, the wise understand that yesterday's decisions shape today's reality and will create tomorrow's Situation, right? That's the wise person understands that 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 any path you're on leads to an inevitable destination. It always does, always has, always will. And and so um, we're we're taking a look at that today. So here's uh, our, our terminology, just to review this. Fearing God is a reverent, joyful, secure response of obedience to His goodness and His holiness. That's what it means to fear God. It's not. It's not cowering in insecurity and, and anything like that. Wisdom, we've defined wisdom as seeing life from God's perspective and responding accordingly. Two key things there. It's, it's from God's perspective, not mine. And we respond. If you really are, if you have wisdom, you're going to change your life based on some facts that you see in your experience with God's word, okay? So um, it's hard, though, because our culture is, our, our culture is self-absorbed and in and instant gratification. And, and that's hard because, you know, wisdom advice us to live like a crockpot in a microwave culture. Sometimes things take time. And I don't know about you, but patience doesn't seem to be one of those fruits of our culture, right? Everything's instantaneous or it's a huge problem. So this is where we're going. Today we're talking about navigating life between the trees. There are trees in Genesis 1, and there's trees in Revelation. The very first chapters of the Bible and the very last chapter of the Bible that starts and ends with trees. You ever notice that? It's interesting. I'm sure you have. And so here, let's just kind of review. Genesis 2. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just a little sidelight here. Have you ever noticed the phrase there? Every tree that's pleasant to the sight? First, it's beautiful. Secondarily, it's good for food. Isn't that interesting? So there, there's your, your argument for the arts and beauty in the world. Everything, everything that exists doesn't just exist because of its productivity or um, its usefulness. Beauty is part of why God created things. But, but we're focusing on the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, that's kind of where we're going. And Scripture goes on here, and it says, um, He put them in the garden to keep it, and He said, You may eat of any tree of the garden but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for the day you eat that tree you will die so uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is really the tree of wisdom it's it's understanding what is best for myself and and god is saying you you don't know what's best for yourself You, you can't make that call you're not in a position to understand that And so anytime we try to make the decision to do what's best for myself, live according to my own desires, my own wisdom, we're really falling into the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it usually doesn't end well, all right? And so we come back to that perspective that life from God's perspective is to follow what God says. Okay, so um, it goes on here in in, in chapter 2 in Genesis, and it says, uh, a river flowed through Eden and it names the rivers, and then chapter 3 in Genesis, you, you know, maybe what happens there, there's temptation and sin, and and um, listen to this. Adam and Eve hide themselves. God comes into the garden, and so they hid from the presence of God. God said, where are you? What have you done? And, and, he, and he said, well, I heard you, and I was afraid, so I hid, and, I, and I'm naked, and I'm ashamed, and 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 so then curses come in, and, and God says to the woman, "I will multiply your ch- your pain and childbearing, and your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you." To the man, curses the ground, thorns and thistles are now normal. And sweat of every- yesterday, I was in my back little woods area, and I got nettles and sweat and thorns and thistles, and I'm like, "Yep, that's true." So this is this is a picture of Genesis. There were two trees there. Tree of life leads to tree of life leads to life. Tree of knowledge of good and evil leads to death. And so there's a river. There's sin hiding fear, shame, and blame. And there's curses. Okay, but now you go to Revelation 22, and listen to this. Um, so. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of God is with man he will wipe away every tear from their eye death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning crying nor pain anymore for former things have passed away so the weird thing about scripture is it starts with the possibility of death curses fear and shame and very quickly it becomes the reality death curses fear and shame become a reality in chapter 3 and at the end Death, curses, fear, and shame are no more. You and I don't live at the beginning, do we? Where death, curses, fear, and shame are just a possibility. And you and I don't live at the end where it's a past, former thing. It's, it is our experience. We live in a fallen world among fallen people. Have you ever been taken advantage of? Has someone ever stolen your stuff? You know what I mean? Or just been mean to you? We live in a fallen, broken world, right? And so um that's a problem and so we have we have these two trees genesis and revelation those are the two trees i'm talking about i'm not talking about the two trees in genesis but between the beginning and end and scripture kind of has this duality focus you know you you have cain and abel you have isaac and ishmael you have esau and jacob david and saul in the end times, you have Christ and the Antichrist, right? And so here we have two two trees: the tree of life and the, and the tree of death. And the choice is which tree are we going to pursue? And so to solve that, yeah, here's here's Revelation. Um, there's only one tree, tree of life. There's no more tree of death. There is a river there. There is a river there. Instead of sin hiding fear, shame, and blame, you have Uh, worship and 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 we see his face it's really really interesting um this is what revelation says the tree of life there were leaves for the healing of the nations no longer will there be anything accursed. so there's no more curse the throne of god and the lamb will be in it his servants will worship him and they will see his face what a contrast from hiding from god in the garden because of shame and fear to seeing his face and confidently standing before him, worshiping him. That's a good ending, right? So that's, that's the contrast there. These are the two trees um, between the beginning tree of Genesis and the end. Uh, that's what we're doing. And Jesus is in the middle. And I'm going to end today by making an observation that, that he was hung on a tree, cross tree, okay? Okay? So we'll, we'll unpack that at the end. But ever since Jesus came, there are two kinds of people on the planet. Those that believe in him that are saved, and those that do not believe him and are not saved. Just, there's two kinds of people, right? There's another kinds of two kinds of people. There's the wise and the foolish. Now, this might rock your world, but... There's really no correlation between saved and unsaved and wise and foolish. Just because you're saved doesn't automatically mean you're wise. You can believe in Jesus and be an idiot with your finances. You you can burn all the bridges of your relationships. The Spirit of God will be like, no, no. But you can just march forward, right? Um, You ever see that bumper sticker? May the light from the bridges I burn guide my way. Not, not really a plan there. So um, I'm just saying, Now there is godly wisdom and there's earthly wisdom, okay? We know that from James and Proverbs. And so um, godly wisdom starts with being rightly related to God through his son Jesus. That's, that opens up godly wisdom. But, but there is earthly wisdom. Anytime I, I tune the valves of my motorcycle engine, I never go to Proverbs. I go to the manual. 0.012 you know, whatever it is you know? and so so there's earthly wisdom and there's there's heavenly and godly wisdom and and so uh we're, we're talking about that but um life in the midst of these trees you and i are in the middle as so we have a choice to make which tree are we going to eat the fruit of where do you get advice how is that working for you is is it creating stability strength endurance or not so where we get our advice and the fruit of that advice is really significant. So we're going to go to Psalm 1 now. John just read that. It's on page 448 in the, the Bibles in front of you. I almost said hymnals, but the Bibles. So Psalm 1 is very interesting because it's in the book of Psalms, but it's not a song. It's, it reads more like a proverb. Okay, so Psalm 1 is very, very interesting. It's, a, it's actually a Torah psalm. We'll talk about that in a bit, but um, go ahead and read. We'll just read verse 1 here. Blessed is the man, and then three very progressively intensive descriptions, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So right away, first verse, we have some pretty clear instruction on how to navigate life between the trees, right? Blessed is a person who says no to the advice and the lifestyle of the wicked, he does this. The righteous does this because he or she has a bigger yes. That's how that works, right? Anytime you make a decision, you say no to one thing, it's best to say no because you have a bigger yes. I, I want this, so I'm sacrificing that. That's the bigger yes is how you want to live. You don't want to live on just no's. No, 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 no. You have a bigger yes driving you. So what's the bigger yes? We'll answer that question in about four minutes. So, but note the plural and singular here. The man, blessed is the man. He's one guy. Blessed is the man. But sinners, plural, scoffers, plural. So this one person has to stand against an assembly, perhaps a culture, a group. And that's always hard, right? But as we'll see, this person is not alone, okay? So, um, this walking, standing, sitting. Very, very interesting. Throws me back to uh, Deuteronomy. Check this out. you know, Walking, standing, sitting in Psalm 1, Deuteronomy 6, you shall teach them God's instruction diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when your eyes 24-7 all the time. So it, it's almost like this author had this in mind that, and by the way, there's no really... There's no author attributed to Psalm 1, so whoever. But the author is probably echoing this, God's Word 24-7, focus on it. And I love this. It's, it's, it doesn't say you shall teach them at your formal breakfast devotional time with your children. It, it's sort of just a way of life. Like at any time, be ready for a teachable moment. Oh, hey, well, do you know why this happens? This, this is what God's Word says. Or do you know about this? And, and so it's, it's a different thing. There's a book that I read years ago called Everyday Talk. And, and some concepts in books you read and it's pretty impactful. And you take a concept and it just, it's with you forever. And so it's been a while since I read it. But I got one idea from this book. And it has stuck with me forever. Especially as I raise my kids. One of the premises of this book is that children in your home learn more about theology from your offhanded small talk and your comments than they ever will through your formal breakfast devotional time and I let that percolate into my mind and I started to kind of listen to my own comments as I'm driving I've probably told you this joke before but you know um, dad usually drives the kids to school and one day he's sick and so mom has to drive the kids to school and halfway to school from the back seat the kids are like mom where are all the idiots? Okay, anyway, so, um, and so, okay, so the kids are learning, dad thinks other drivers are, whatever, okay, but, um, so, so I remember once I saw this billboard, it was, it was about abortion, and it said, you know, when, when you have an abortion, something inside dies, and it's just, you know, a dark picture, and and so I just drive down on the highway, I said, guys, look at that picture, what, what do you think that means? Just small, you know, just small ways to open conversations or, or even when something, especially when something unfortunate happens and, and watch your comments because you're instructing them. Is God at work through this unfortunate situation? Well, we say he is, but what do our offhanded comments teach our children? Super convicting. So anyway, I, I, I love that concept, but I think that's kind of what's behind uh, Psalm 1 here. So uh, blessed is the man who, look at this, walks, stands, sits. We're going to dig into this. Walking means how you live morally or ethically, all right? You're, you're living according to the counsel of the wicked, not. Not living according to the counsel. And then worse than just walking is standing, and here you're, you're stopping in their path, their way of living, and you're considering it. Should, should I adopt it, the lifestyle of, of the sinner? And then you have sitting in the seat of scoffers, and this is worse because you're, you're not just walking in their path and, and listening to their advice or standing and, and considering it. You are wholehearted, sitting down. You're surrounding yourself with these people, having taken their advice, having cultivated a lifestyle of bad habits, and you're surrounding yourself with mockers or scoffers. Same concepts. But blessed is a person who doesn't do this, all right? So now it goes on and says, well, now we have counsel, way, and seat. So this also builds intensively, okay? Counsel of the wicked is our advice. So these people, you, you get advice from somebody. If you get it from the wicked, that's going to be a problem. This proverb says, the psalm. The way of sinners is a culmination of bad habits. You don't stand in that. And you don't sit in the seat, you don't surround yourself, adopt the lifestyle of of these people, these mockers, and those who scorn, try to to dismantle someone's faith. So again, everything's connected, the wise understand. uh, Yesterday's decision shapes today's reality and will shape tomorrow's situation. And then you have descriptions here, again, progressive, intensive. Wicked sinners and scoffers, okay? And so the wicked... And, and this word really has the idea of just guilty, okay? It's not that they're as bad as they could be. That Before God, remember wisdom from God's perspective? They're guilty. And, and you, there's room in this word to be guilty before God, but just kind of nice. And, and you're generous, and you volunteer for all this stuff, but in God's, from God's perspective, you don't know him. There's no faith, and so your righteousness is as filthy rags, okay? So, so it's not just like you're, just a, you're an axe murderer, okay? And you probably know people. You're like, yeah, but, but these people are nice. Yeah, okay. Sure, from our perspective. And that's, it's good to be nice. But from God's perspective, he has a whole different standard, and that can be problematic. So um, the wicked, from God's perspective, they're guilty. Sinners, they either intentionally or unintentionally fail to obey God. And then scoffers, the scoffers literally ridicule the righteous and seek to dismantle their faith and proverbs is harsh this is a hard truth if you ever run into a scoffer scripture says this a scoffer seeks wisdom in vain but knowledge is easy for a man of understanding leave the presence of a fool for there you do not meet words of knowledge for the wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way but the folly of fools is deceiving. They don't discern their way. Fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. And so, interesting, right? Paul says the same thing here in Corinthians. He says, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. He's saying that to a church, right? I always thought that was interesting. Stop sinning. You wouldn't really think that, that somebody would have to say that, but it's probably good he did, right? Stop sinning. So, have you ever seen the phrase, heard the phrase, show me your friends and I'll show you your future? It's this, it's Psalm 1, right? You're not sitting, you're not standing, you're not walking in the counsel of the wicked, but if you are, if those are your friends, you're on a path, and every path leads to an inevitable destination, right? All right, verse 2. But his delight... This is the righteous man or woman. His delight is in the law or the instruction of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So the second verse helps us navigate life between the trees, right? The tree of life, the tree of death, by saying the blessed person says yes to the instruction of God and his word as he says no to the advice and lifestyle of the wicked. What's his bigger yes? It's his delight the delight in God and his word, that's the bigger yes. Isn't that interesting? That fuels and drives the decision to say no to the wicked. You can say no to the wicked, and it's good to say no to the wicked, but the best way to say no to the wicked is to say no to the wicked because you're saying yes to God and his word, okay? Okay. Alright, so it says here he delights in the law, and so technically this is what you could call a Torah psalm. There's no real official category of Torah psalms, like there's imprecatory psalms and Thanksgiving psalms where they have certain, certain uh, components. There's only like three Torah psalms, 1, 19, and 119, where the law of God is a central feature. But anyway, so it's, uh, it's focusing on the law of God here, and his delight is doing that. But here's a question. He meditates on... I'll get that off there. It's confusing. He meditates on the law day and night. D- does he meditate on it because he delights in it? Or does he delight in it because he meditates on it? The answer is yes, right? It's both. Because we, we typically meditate on things we delight in. And we typically delight in things we meditate on. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's how that works. And so so um, he delights in it. Contrasting that, he delights in God's law, but the mockers make fun of it and ridicule it. you have a hard time thinking of delighting in God's law? If you just read Leviticus, you'd be like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not tracking with you, okay? Um, but even in Leviticus, there's grace. That's another sermon, but it's true. So um, have you ever taken pleasure? Do, do, you, do you look at God's word and God's laws, his instruction, as life-giving? It, it is life-giving. Right? Here, Psalm 1, I have about 15 different chunks of verses. I thought I'd just show you one, otherwise, it would, you know. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight, they are my counselors. That's where I get my advice, your testimonies. And they have proven true, and they've delivered him in the past, and he's under threat, and he's facing tension. And he says, I'm going to meditate on your statues because they are my delight. That's where I get my advice. And that is a path that we're talking about here, all right? So um, sometimes we find it hard to, to delight in God's laws and his word because our culture has frankly replaced God with our own way. We do life our own way right? It used to be uh, before the 18th 18th century, Christians would read God's Word, and they would place the story in the story's context. After the 18th century, with romanticism, literalism, the Enlightenment, and Kant, Immanuel Kant, you said you can't know, that's the easy way to remember that. But anyway, you know, the reason and and, and, uh, mysticism, everything, everything became a big question mark. But ever since then, we read Biblical stories and we put it in our own context and our culture We have become the deciding factor in what the story means not the original context that if if you know me That's why I'm a big fan of backgrounds and cultures and placing it in the context of scripture What does it mean to them and then from that we pull out the timeless truth and sure it applies to us But but it's in their setting It, it meant something to the original audience And if we don't understand what the original author said to the original audience, we're going to probably subconsciously force our own cultural issues onto the text and then things get strange, all right? So we measure the scripture story by our own story, just like the Pharisees. They, they changed it. And so it's, it's hard when you read God's word and, and you're faced with a choice, like, I, I think I need to change? Me? No, 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 no. I'm going to put the story in my own culture and have my own cultural values reshape the story, and now I'm fine. I don't have to change. I'm fine because I've changed God's word, and that's dangerous. So we sometimes will read God's word, and we run into a brick wall spiritually, and we realize I need to shift my thinking, my living, my values and that is hard. And only those that submit to that are on the path of the tree of life and wisdom. Those that reject it, spit in it, and ridicule it are the fools who embrace the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thinking that I'm going to do it my own way. And it's, each decision leads to a different destination, right? So, um, he goes on here in verse 3. He says, let me back up here and say this so someone who is successfully navigating life between the trees he's saying no to the advice and lifestyle of the wicked he's saying yes to delighting on the law of god that person is like a tree like a tree that yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither all that he does he prospers so he's like a tree that's a big tree right so um, I love, I, I think, I think the, the author has like a big healthy tree in mind here. Not like, you know, Linus' little Christmas tree. We're, we're not talking about that. Um, so the location, it, where? It's planted by streams of water. And I think it's interesting that, that Paul picks up on this. Oh, there's another tree. So your pastor is a tree hugger. Proof. We were a couple weeks ago in the Redwoods, and that is just a gigantic... Those trees are just huge. It's just ridiculous. It's just, and, and, you know, this is like if you've been to the Grand Canyon, you take a picture. It just it doesn't work, right? If you were there, you'd be like, oh. it's like a movie set. I'm waiting for the, the, the stormtroopers on their little you know, jet ski things. And like, anyway, um, pretty cool. So um, that's the, there's trees like a tree. So it's by streams of water. And 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, What is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, and God caused the growth. God grows. We water, we plant, God is the one who grows. Okay? So, these, these trees here that he's talking about in Psalm chapter 1, verse 3, he's flourishing and he's fruitful. Uh, Galatians 5 says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience goodness, faithfulness kindness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh have crucified the flesh have crucified their desire to live life their own way. They have run into that wall and said, I cannot make all the decisions for my life according to my own wisdom. I submit to your wisdom. I want to have the path of righteousness and wisdom. So he's like a tree. Anytime scripture says something is like something else, well, you have to think, well, what what characteristic does one have that bridges over to the other thing? So how is the righteous faithful like a tree? Well, it answers it. It's, it's well-fed, constantly drawing from water, which is, is a metaphor for the Word of God, constantly bearing fruit in its season, in its season, which means there are seasons where there's no fruit. But in the right season, there is fruit. But there's also a dry season every year, right? And so that cycle goes on here. That's really important theologically, all right? So, um, But I love the metaphor of the, the the stream of water because Jesus picks up on that. I don't know if he was thinking about this, but... Um, Remember what he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, he keeps going, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within. But then he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow streams of living water. So the beauty of this metaphor is you don't have to be like, oh, I have to move. I have to plant myself by a stream so my tree roots can grow. We, through belief in Jesus, he creates life within us where there was death and corruption. And now the streams of life flow from from within us because of him. Isn't that beautiful? It's an amazing, powerful thing. So um, this is uh, 2008. I don't know if you remember this, but that was the year there was a storm. And we lived in Elkhorn at the time and had just planted six new trees. that were like six foot tall and, and you know, kind of stick scrawny things because that's how you buy them. And, and I dug the whole pit and you stick them in there, you water and I stake, I think I staked them down. Anyway, um, but we had this, this storm here and we lived, <laughs> the, the tornado siren is, is literally like probably 10 feet from my front door. It was like right by the driveway. So it was painful. And that thing starts going off and black clouds are coming. 115 mile an hour straight line winds. And it shredded foam poles and it, the cornfields were like disappeared. And so I, I run out to these little trees with my box of twine, hammer, string and I'm going to quick try to tie them down. And I'm getting one or two down and all of a sudden that black wall hits and my, all my stuff in a cardboard box literally was just gone. Just... <laughs> and I look and I see Donna... And she's shouting. And I couldn't hear a thing. Just this roar, right? It was incredible. And so I ran in and ducked for cover, and we had a trampoline. And there's a funny story there. I have an ER doctor friend who, like Luck and I, have got whatever you do, don't get a trampoline. They're dangerous. Okay, we won't do it. At a garage sale, I was like, I found a trampoline for 20 bucks. Like, buy it. Anyway, so we bought it. We set it up, and it was okay. It was fun. But the wind came and literally dismantled it. We found pieces, like a spring here, a spring there, an aluminum leg there. It just shredded everything. And these trees, because they were freshly planted in that ball and socket kind of thing, they all literally just whoop, flat to the ground. But they didn't break because they're... So, so the next day I went out and put them back up. They're still there to this day. So that was only because they were flat, f- f- freshly planted. I don't think there's a spiritual analogy there, but anyway. So um, <laughs> it's a storm. And so some storms withstood I mean, some trees withstood that storm. They were strong and their roots were deep. Other, like, young little ones, they just bent over and they could come right back up. So, um, but all this tree stuff is one reason why we have the, the symbol of grace life it is a tree. We want to be well-grounded in love, Ephesians says, and rooted in, in God's word, right? We want to be resilient and, and withstand the storms of life which are painful. And if you've been with us for any time, you know, there's people in our congregation getting banged around with physical things and and there's pain. This is a fallen world. We're between the trees, right? And so we want to be resilient and grounded and strong. And also, we want to be gracious enough with one another that when someone's not bearing fruit, we don't start saying, well, you're probably not saved. How much? So at the same house in Elkhorn by the siren, we had a tree there it was two or three years after we moved in that we saw apricots on it. And we're like, it's, a tr- it's an apricot tree. I didn't know that until the apricots showed up. Because, you know, it's kind of finicky, the, the, the pall in the weather, whatever. It's a big deal. It, it, it's hard. And so he, was that not an apricot tree the first two years when it bore no fruit? No, it was still an apricot tree. See where I'm going with this? So so be careful with other believers and, and theologies that, oh, you're not bearing fruit? You probably are not a Christian. You maybe lost your salvation. Now, you zoom out enough, and sure, people who don't know Jesus aren't gonna bear fruit, but I'm pretty hesitant to start judging people on, well, it's been thirty minutes since, you know, Bob hasn't displayed fruit. It's been thirty days. How long do we go? that's for God to decide. You see what I'm saying? And so, so, um, I have enough problems of my own. But anyway, so, so the apricot tree was an apricot tree. The point is the fruit come in its season and there are seasons of life that are dry and difficult. And when you're in those seasons, you're just like, Lord, would you, would you give me strength and endurance? and, 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 and we find that in his word and with fellowship with other people, because this guy, the man, is resisting the community of sinners, but he's not doing that alone. Right, we'll get to that verse in a second. So, anyway, this whole tree thing, and that's why you know our values here. We, we're, we're grounded in knowing God and His Word. We love God through Bible study and prayer. So basically, we experience God's kindness and we extend it. That's that's what we're about. Right, the whole the, it's a simple simple thing. We experience God's kindness through His Word. We respond to that and extend it to other people. So, that's kind of where we are. Um, so, moving on. The fruit, I've already said this, but it yields fruit in its season, which means there's a season where it's not yielding fruit. So be gracious with yourself if, if you're from the perspective of, you know, I'm supposed to be this dynamic Christian 24-7 every day. There are seasons where it's dry, that it's not exciting. It's, every day is not this exciting, triumphant, victorious Christian thing. There are seasons where God might seem distant, Right? what do you do? What do you do in marriage? One thing is, well, you well, you keep going, and those emotions come, and those emotions go, and, and so don't read too much into a season where there's no fruit. Now, if season, maybe you sense this should be a season of fruit, and there's no fruit, well, that's another matter, and then you, you know, you dig in and talk to a good friend and go, help me out from your perspective. I'm missing something, and you can chase that down. So uh, you can go, obviously, in extreme, both directions here, but Fruit is normal. You would get a good tree by streams of water. Fruit is normal, right? But it's not every day. It's not every season. There are seasons for You get what I'm saying with that? So it's, it's just kind of a, a wise balance there and understanding uh, that. So we don't want to scold a friend for, for not producing fruit. How about, we, how about we be gracious to them and, and point them to Jesus, who's the one who produces that stream of living water. That, that's probably where we want to go, nurture and love other person so maybe you're in that situation and and there's somebody that they should be producing fruit and it's driving me crazy it's been too long in my estimation so you pray lord give me patience as we wade through this and i wait for that person to grow or or that person to bear the fruit that i think in my wisdom they should be bearing and um we already talked about this last week the week before that the scolding wagging finger probably isn't going to contribute down that path All right, but it says he's going to be prosperous, right? And um, why is this tree prosperous? Because we tend to act like we think, and this person is thinking on God's word. He's meditating on God's word. She's meditating on God's word, and so the thoughts shape the actions. And so um, it's not prosperous like lots of money. You're not going to open your garage door like, you know, have a pallet of cash. Uh, That's not how this works. This is prosperity and fruitfulness from God's perspective, just like wisdom. We see life from his perspective. We see prosperity from his perspective. Prosperity can come in the midst of financial ruin, scripturally, right? And so you really have to get those lenses on and, and make sure we're okay there. Let's go to verse 4. He shifts from a tree metaphor to a harvest metaphor. He says, the wicked are not so, they're like chaff, that the wind drives away. And so just to help you understand chaff, you know, this is, these are sheaves of wheat that go out and cut them down and bundle them up and then this is from the book of Ruth, you might remember these, but the threshing floor, big round hard surface, they would spread out all the grain, and then they'd run around, this is a threshing sledge that the ox would go around, and they would grind, they would just crush the, 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 the long stringy stalks and get it into more of a workable format. And then they would throw it up. This is really an in- inaccurate picture if I'm going to be picky because these guys are throwing it straight up, which means the gra- the grain is going to go straight down into the other junk and you can't separate it. They would really throw it to a different location so that the wind would blow the chaff away and the seeds end up in a pile where you can get... But we'll we'll let it pass because we're gracious, right? It's just a picture, so that's okay. Anyway, just want you to understand that, that the chaff, in Scripture, chaff is a symbol of something that's temporary and under judgment and, and just of no lasting value. And so here it says the people who have no relationship to God and are pursuing their own wisdom are like chaff. They're going to be just uh, burned up. Even if they're good people, their goodness on earth might impress us, but before holy God, it's like chaff. Right? So his perspective is a perspective that we really need to understand. All right? Wow. So um, verse 5. Therefore, the wicked or the guilty will not stand in the judgment. This is interesting. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So here, the righteous is plural here. So this man, this woman, in verse 1, is not alone as they delight in god's law they are with the congregation other people like you and i are here today we bear each other's burdens right and this is this is where this is one little side pitch for our small life groups if you're we're going to be kicking those off here in september but but really life is too hard to go alone we need each other in terms of our our fellowship our encouragement and just getting to know people in a way we can't always do that here but look at parallelism in psalms is, is a big deal right look at this The wicked is parallel to what? Sinners. The wicked and sinners, parallel. Then look at this, the judgment is parallel to the righteous. So when you first read this, you're probably thinking of, oh, end times, God's judgment. Well, it seems to be more like this is is the judgment the community of the righteous make against the wicked. And whatever judgment they would make would come from God's judgment. So it's I guess all in the end the same, but but look at this in terms of the community. The wicked will not stand in the assembly; the judgment of the, the righteous assembly. They're they're going to be called on account and and kicked out. And this is a this is a good verse that kind of captures that. This is Proverbs five. Somebody that didn't do well. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. See again the parallelism. I am at the brink of utter ruin. In the assembled congregation. So there's this communal aspect to life then with wisdom. In in the assembled congregation, I'm coming up short. I'm feeling judgment. And so that was their culture, and that's probably what that means. All right? Still, God's judgment works there. Verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, plural, but the way of the wicked will perish. He knows what path we're on. knows what path he, he knows where that path leads he knows what path we're on he knows why we're on it he knows where it leads he knows all that and in the midst of whatever rebellion we have of i'm doing my own thing he is just pursuing us loving us waiting for us to turn to consider life from his perspective and he welcomes with open arms that's amazing right so Loves us. Uh, The way here, he knows the way. That's the path. That's your moral, your ethical lifestyle. He knows that. He knows all about this. And so we zoom out and and, um, we're asking, are we like a tree or are we like chaff? Uh, One of the two here. Paul, or Jeremiah, listen to this. This is a very, it's like the same thing. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, who trusts, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water. This is Jeremiah 17. That sends out its roots by the stream. He does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, flourishing, even in the dry season. He is not anxious in the year of drought. The year of drought. See, sometimes we have a year that's just difficult and and dry, for it does not cease to bear fruit, because he's planted by living streams. And indeed, his heart, with New Testament, we would say his heart has become uh, a living stream. And Paul says, oh, there's Jeremiah, uh, Paul says, uh, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the Christ, love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I love that. You can know what is unknowable. Fantastic, right? And rooted and grounded in love. And so that's, that's why we get this concept of rootedness and, and, and to be resilient and to be drawing from, constantly drawing from God, the water of God's word. And, and our roots feed us when we're in a year of drought and we're in a season of life that makes no sense and it's painful and, and things are not the way they should be because we're between the trees. We're, we're in a broken world with dysfunctional people and sin is everywhere, but we can be drawing from the living water right? And we can become stable, and the winds don't push us over. So that's actually a hiking trail in the redwoods, and the trees everywhere. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of roots. Um, anyway, okay, so um, the point of Psalm 1, two trees, and, and who these trees are are shaped by where they get their advice from, and what they meditate on, that, that they lead to specific places, all right? Um. We need to meditate on the Word of God, like Hebrews 4 says. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He knows why we do what we do. Oh, I can hide that from you. I can hide it from my wife, like a little bit. You know what I mean? But, but God is just like a laser. Boom. John, this is why you're doing this. You're like, yeah, that's, that's not good. That's the word of God. If we don't camp out in the word of God, we're not faced with that. And, and, and then the proper response is to submit to his authority and his love and his grace, right? And that's that, that tree of, that's, that's the big tree, the big strong tree. So, all right. Application, if you're a believer, continue to get to know him through his word. If you're not a believer, if you've never met Jesus, get to know him through his word. It all comes down to his word, okay? That's kind of where we're at here. So um, finally here, just a quick thing on these verses. This is interesting. In Acts, trivia here, not once in Acts is the cross called a cross. It's always called a tree. Isn't that interesting? You, know, you hang him on a tree. You, you put him to death by hanging him on a tree, blah, blah, blah. You took him down from the tree. Never once in Acts is the cross called The cross is always called a tree. And never once in the Gospels is the cross called a tree. So something, when you see something like that, okay, something's on purpose here. And what's on purpose here is Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written in Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So Luke, writing Acts, is like, you have to understand this tree is the connection point of him becoming a curse so that we could become free. All right, and so um, again, that's um, that's where we're going. I'm gonna read this here too first. The righteous person is like a tree. Jesus became a curse on a tree so we could have full life in Him and receive the promised Spirit through faith, so that we could thrive and be resilient like a, a, a flourishing tree by streams of water. And so that leads us to some key questions here. We always like to end our service with a minute or two of thought because our Microwave culture doesn't do that much, right? So, how is the company you keep shaping your access to streams of living water? Where, where are you getting advice? Who are you walking with, sitting with, standing? Where do you get advice, and what values are you adopting? How is what you meditate on impacting your stability? Are are you the roots going down deep, and you're able to withstand a dry season, a storm? Those are. Those are questions and God, God's word is the answer for all of this. It's how we know Jesus in the first place and it's how we continue to grow in our knowledge of him. We have podcasts, we have songs, we have all kinds of good stuff, but there's really no substitute for God's word. So I encourage you to, to uh, elevate that in your daily practice and uh, grow. Lord, thank you for trees. They're beautiful, they're fun, so many different kinds and so many different uh, shapes, leaves and everything, and, and yet we look at the trees flourishing and fruitfulness because of its access to water and your word is with us we have it we pray that we would draw on it and that you would cause the fruit to grow we love you we're grateful for who you are what you've done for us and uh, we live in a very difficult culture it's fast it's furious it's very materialistic we pray that you would elevate our eyes in our own circumstances to see you at work through our situations in life Amen.